anyway, it's good to be in the house of God this morning. It's good to be with you all. And uh, I really, you know, it's funny, I was thinking about this and I was thinking, you know, I really feel like I have a word from God this morning for you. And then as I was preparing, so I was thinking, you know, I'm going to say that. I'm going to tell them that I really feel that, that this is for them. And then I thought, well, does a preacher ever get up and say like, you know, this week I just kind of phoned it in. You know, like I, I was busy, I had a lot on the go, I didn't have time to prepare, and so I just kind of, I went to my filing cabinet and I pulled out an old message and I changed a couple of the, you know, like does a preacher ever, oh, I mean, maybe they do that, but I don't think they would tell you, so I don't know. I mean, maybe it doesn't mean a lot for me saying that it's a word from God because maybe you've heard that a million times, but honestly, I believe that from the bottom of my heart that this is for you and uh, whether you're new to church, whether you're new to Jesus, whether this is all something that you're just kind of exploring for the first time, or whether you're one of the people that I know is out there that saw me as a little baby and has been saved longer than I've been alive, I really do believe that this is from God for you this morning. And uh, I kind of, you know, I wound up with uh, about a week to go finding out that I was filling in this morning. We had to make some adjustments to our schedule, and I sort of felt in my heart there were two directions I could go. And one of them would have been very easy and very safe, and I thought, I could do that, and it's simple, and it's basically, it honestly was that, like, sermon out of the drawer. I used to travel around and share my testimony for a living, and I was like, well, I've never really done that on a Sunday morning. I could just dust that baby off, and they've never really heard it, and I'm sure they'd love it, and it would go well. And you know, I really felt in my heart, like, no, that's not what God wants to do, and it's a great story about what God did in my life, but I, you know, I really felt that God wanted us to talk about money this morning. Um, We've been talking about what difference does it make as a series, and, you know, we've talked about what it makes in our personal lives, we've talked about uh, the difference that it makes in our families, Uh, great message on that last week, we talked about what difference it makes in the community, but I believe that the gospel makes a difference in your bank account, in your wallet. And uh, I believe that, you know, God wants to speak to that this morning. I believe that there might be some misconceptions, there might be some concerns, especially for those of you who are new to church, who are new to God. There's a couple things that, you know, I've heard people say um, just culturally and online. And so there's a couple of them, I got them on the screen here. Um, But one of the questions that here is like, why is the church always asking for money? And another thing that I sort of, I've heard various versions of this, but, um, you know, basically this statement that it seems like the church is more about greed than the gospel. And, you know, both, honestly, very valid concerns. I get that. Um, They both resonate with me, and I can understand if that's where you're at this morning, I understand where you're coming from. Because it does seem like we talk about money a lot. And quite frankly, we mention it every week. And, you know, so, hey, fair enough. It comes up pretty often. And this other statement, you know, about, it seems like it's more about greed than the gospel. I mean, to be honest, there are people and there are churches and there are ministries where that's true. And, you know, I'm not God, so I don't know the hearts of people. I don't know where they're at. But I am certain, based on what the Bible says about all these people who claim that they're serving God, and yet Jesus will say, I never knew you, well, then that means some of them have got to be a little bit dishonest about where their heart's at. So, you know, valid concerns, and uh, I want to address some of that this morning. 
But one thing that I want to make abundantly clear before we dive into this, before we dive into some of the biblical foundation for it, is uh, I want to make a statement, and I kind of said this last week as I was talking about the ways to give, but the thing that I really want to drive home and that I hope that you come away with this morning is that God doesn't want your wallet. He wants your heart. He's not after your checkbook. He's not after your money. I mean, God, quite frankly, he created the universe. He created this earth that we live on. He created everything. God doesn't need your money. In fact, it's all from him anyway. So he really doesn't need you to give. And you giving isn't going to change who he is. He wants your heart. Now, to be honest, I mean, the church pays our staff with money. We pay our hydro bills with money. You know, there's a lot of things that we do that involve using money, and so we are thankful for those of you who do do give money. But when it comes to God and when it comes to eternity, if the focus is entirely on this money thing, then you're missing the whole point. Uh, But what does the Bible say about money? I think that's a great question. You know, if we're going to talk about money, then let's, let's look at some biblical examples about how it's supposed to work. And so we start off the Old Testament, the tithe. And we've got our nice chart there. I love charts. It's fun, makes it easy. Maybe it's not fun. I think it is, but I'm a bit of a math nerd. But uh, this Old Testament thing kind of, and you know, I'll get into why this is really technically wrong, but you could look at it as 10% is God's, that little yellowish portion up there, and the, the blue, the bigger piece of the pie, is mine, the 90%. That's my piece of the pie. And I, I want to open, I got a few references. You can look these all up in your own time. Own time. Genesis 28, Deuteronomy 14, Leviticus 27. There are other passages that talk about tithing, but uh, I don't have the verses on the screen here from Genesis 28, but um, it's Jacob, and he's having this encounter with God, and he, he's about to go off and find a wife and uh, you know move forward in his life, and he has this dream, and really it's an encounter with God, and it's this supernatural experience, and, and God promises that he's going to be with him, and promises he's going to bless him, and he's going to have all these descendants, and it's this, this beautiful promise from God. And so Jacob's response is the place that he's in. He says that, uh, well, he names it Bethel, which is the house of God, and he says, <coughs> excuse me, He's going to set up a memorial stone that this place is going to be God's house. And he says that everything you, God, everything you give me, I will assuredly give a tenth to you. And so that, as far as my research, and uh, albeit it wasn't, you know, the most in-depth and I'm open to being corrected, that was the earliest reference in the Bible that I could find to a tithe. Now there's the biblical law surrounding a tithe, but that was the first someone saying, I'm going to give a tenth that I could find. And what I find really interesting about that is that he doesn't do it because there's some law that his father taught him or his grandfather taught him. He doesn't do it because, you know, it's been prescribed by the priests. He doesn't do it because anyone's told him to, but he just sees the goodness of God. He sees the promise of God and he wants to respond. And he says, God, if you're going to do all of this for me and if you're going to be faithful and if you're going to be with me on this journey, then I want to worship you and I want to give you one-tenth of everything that I have. He responds to God out of that. And I think the, the tithe is a wonderful principle. I mean, many of you have been doing this, again, longer than I've been alive, but you know, I think it's a great starting place 
And, you know, we're going to dive into, you know, if you have issues with that because it's Old Testament, I want to address that in a second here. But honestly, if you were to ask me, like, Luke, what do I do? There's a few ways I would respond. And it, honestly, it depends where you're at. Number one, if you're new to church, if you're just checking out what we're all about, if you're learning more about Jesus and, you know, you haven't committed, you're kind of just exploring this thing and you're curious and you're open and don't worry about any of it yet. Honestly, honestly, uh, don't worry, don't feel pressured, you don't need to give, but if you were someone who's, you've committed your life to God, you're trying to live a godly life, you know, uh, the example I thought of was, you know, if I'm you know, when my son gets his first job, he's six weeks old right now, so it's a little ways away. But, you know, in a couple of years when he starts working, no, <laughs> down the road, he's going to get a job and this is something I'm going to teach him. But I don't want it to be because daddy has forced him to give up 10% of his income because if I do that, he's just going to resent it and down the line, he's going to abandon it. It's got to be about his heart being captured by God. So, you know what, honestly... Don't get too hung up on this. We're going to dive into more about what Jesus has to say about your heart. But I do want to address, you know, because some of you, you know, you've grown up hearing about the tithe and this 10% thing. And, you know, I've heard people say before, well, okay, Luke, that's the Old Testament. That's the Old Covenant. And, you know, Jesus has come and we live under grace and we don't have to live by the law. We don't need to do that anymore. So we don't have to worry about tithing. And I mean, you know, uh, there's an argument to be made where Jesus said he came not to abolish the law, but to perfect the law. But let's not worry about debating that this morning. Let's just say, okay, you know what? That's your view. That's fine. Let's go to the New Testament. Book of Acts. Oh, bet you're wishing you'd stayed in the Old Testament if you know where I'm going with this. So Acts chapter 2, I I don't know why I'm pulling this out. I'm not actually going to read it. I'm going to summarize it. But Acts chapter 2, 44 to 47, and Acts chapter 4, 32 to 37, it talks about these people who sold property. They recognized that among the body of believers, there was a need. There were people who were going hungry. There were people who had needs in their lives. The, The church was trying to minister to this community, and there wasn't enough money. And so people were just like, oh, well, I own a field. I'm going to sell my field, and I'm going to give the money to the church. And, you know, I own this, and I'm going to sell it, and I'm going to give the money to the church. And you see these believers in the book of Acts. And this is, I like to think of this as like the raw, un- you know, uncorrupted church. Like this is immediately after Jesus came, he died on the cross, he rose from the dead, he encouraged the believers, he told them he's going to give them the Holy Spirit, he goes to heaven, Holy Spirit shows up, and this is the earliest form of the church, in my mind, you know, one of the purest forms of the church. So if we're going to model something, then I think, okay, well, let's look at the book of Acts. And this is how they lived. They said, that God, it is all yours. And so I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to give. I'm going to sell this thing because I see that it could provide for someone else. I see that it can provide for the needs of this church that I'm so passionate about. It can provide for advancing the mission of the kingdom of God. And, you know, I've seen this in practical ways in the modern day. I mean, this wasn't just the book of Acts. You know, some of you might say, well, you know, it was different back then. But I mean, and I'm going to get this wrong, but I know there's a couple people here who were around at the time. So uh, as I understand it, this building we're in, this property we're in, and I'm going to get this slightly off, but it was either there were people who 
Sold properties or mortgaged properties that they own to pay for it? Just shout it out if you remember. If you know, I'm looking towards like, I don't know, Margaret Ann, do you remember? Or Lisa, do either of you remember? No? I remember hearing this anyway. It's, it's true. But it, I don't know if they mortgaged it and then, uh, you know, paid that mortgage so that the, the church could be built or whether it was they sold property they owned. But whatever it was, people in the modern day saw that there was a chance to advance the kingdom of God and they made huge personal sacrifices that generations later you and I are benefiting from. I've seen this on smaller scales as well. Uh, you know, I've seen it where uh, this worship pastor that I know, he was in a service, I was in this service too, and there was this fundraising going on, and I want to say it was a building project, but honestly, I can't remember, which is kind of sad. I just remember what people started doing, which was pretty significant. And people just, they got inspired for whatever reason that they were going to do this Book of Acts giving thing. And they did it a little bit differently because it was just a spontaneous thing in the moment. But people started bringing possessions and just putting them at the front of the church. Like they just lay it on, you know, we've got this table here and this front of the platform that we would refer to as the altar. And they just started putting stuff, literally physical stuff on the altar. And, you know, just saying, you know what, here it is. The church can sell it and, you know, take the proceeds and use it for the project. And I will say, if you're ever going to use something you own, to bless the church, as someone who has worked in the office of a church, sell it yourself, donate the money, the staff will thank you. (laughs) They have no idea what it's worth. They don't know where to sell it. You do. You will bless them more by doing that. But this pastor, this worship pastor, he is thinking about what he can give and one of the most precious and valuable things he owns is his guitar. And I mean, this isn't a guy who just, you know, casually strums the guitar now and then. This is like the guy who leads us in worship week after week. He uses this guitar every single week to lead us. And he just says, you know what? I don't know what I'm going to do. It's my only guitar, but I'll figure it out. And he puts it on the altar and just says, I'm giving it to God. I want to help in whatever way I can. And, you know, I, I loved his heart. It was such a beautiful, sacrificial thing because... I mean, if you know musicians, you know, like, their instruments, it's like, I jokingly refer to them as my children when I talk to my wife. Now, I have a literal child, and believe me, don't worry, he's more precious than the guitars, but, you know, I I have, like, a a humidifier in the room, and, you know, I've got the thermostat set, and, like, you know, my bedroom might be cold, and the humidity might be out of whack, but the guitars, they get the nice comfy room because, like, they're precious. I've got this, like, bond with them, you know? And this guitar... This guitar player, this worship leader, he's like sacrificing this most precious possession. And I mean, you know, long story short, uh, there's an individual in the church who was like, okay, you know what? Worship is not going to be very great if our worship leader has no instrument. So I'm just going to donate the money. I'm going to buy the guitar and I'm going to give the guitar back to him. And, you know, so I mean, this sacrificial thing, like it's just like, I don't know, I see it as like God just saw his heart and was like, okay, you know what? You don't have to give up the guitar, but God bless your heart. You know, it's just such a beautiful thing. And, and some of the people, they laid stuff on the altar and nobody bought it back and it was a legitimate sacrifice. But it was just awesome to see people who are willing to give up whatever they had to advance the kingdom of God. But you know what? The mentality was really what was the beautiful thing, was that it is all God's in the first place. And 
So I'm just going to give what I have. And, you know, as I was thinking about this whole concept, you know, I, I really, what I felt God saying was that, you know, he doesn't just want to be in the conversation when it comes to what you're giving in the offering. I mean, that's important to him. And, you know, he loves seeing that. But I honestly, I think God wants to be a part of the conversation whenever it comes to finances. And, you know, whenever it comes to setting your budget. Now, I'll be honest, when I go to the grocery store and, you know, I'm picking up milk and I'm picking up vegetables, like I'm not praying as I go through the grocery store, okay, God, should I buy apples? Shouldn't I buy apples? Like, no, I'm not doing that. I don't know, maybe I should, maybe I'm wrong. But, you know, I, I do pray when I set my monthly budget. I think that would be a very healthy thing to do is to really consider where am I putting these resources? Where am I putting the money that I have? And am I really allowing God to be a part of that conversation? Because, I mean, you know, you can have some of this stuff. You know, you can, you can have a vehicle to drive and have a home to live in. And, you know, you can take time that you need to go on holiday and, and get refreshed. Although right now it might be a little complicated. But, you know, have you talked to God about where the priorities are with, you know, whether it's supporting the local church or whether it's supporting the mission of the kingdom overseas? I think that's the conversation he wants to be part of. And, you know, I, I've had this conversation sometimes that uh, maybe some of you have had. I, I like to think that God has a sense of humor, but, you know, I, I can, remember, can remember one time that uh, I decided to buy this guitar. And, you know, as you may have seen today, I'm a bit of a musician, and, you know, it's an area of passion for me. So there's this guitar that was more expensive than any guitar I owned, and I'm just like, okay, I'm going to do it. I got a good deal on it. And so I, I go to the store and I take it and then I'm kind of having this conversation with God afterwards because I really didn't pray about it, I just went for it. And I'm like, well, you know, Lord, I'm going to use it to worship you and I'm going to use it to advance the kingdom, I'm going to use it on, in church on Sundays. And I just kind of felt like God was laughing at me like, okay, that's why you bought it. Sure, Luke. But, it, you know, <laughs> it's like, he wanted me to, you know, he, he was okay with me having it. It wasn't sin, but it was just like this justification where it's like, okay, you know, I've done this thing and now I have to justify it to God. And I, you know, I've seen that uh, sometimes in conversation, whether it's like people with, their, people with their parents, and I mean, I'm talking like grown adults with their parents or one spouse with another. Have you ever had that conversation where it's, you know, you come home and you've got this thing, whether it's, you know, the you, the wife, have been out shopping and, you know, some clothes or some shoes or maybe I'm being too stereotypical here or, you know, for me, it might be like a guitar pedal or something like that and you have that conversation with the loved one. It's like they ask you, how much was it? It was on sale. It was a really good deal. <laughs> and you don't really answer the question, but you just want to drive home like, yeah, I would have been losing money if I didn't buy it. And this, like, justification where it's like, yeah, yeah, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine because it was... It was a great deal, and I would have been missing out, and I would have regretted it. I've done that with my wife, where it's like, oh, yeah, it's a great deal on this pedal. It was, it was a steal. Practically got it for free. And, you know, she'll, uh, she'll be shopping and, you know, getting whatever, some sweaters, and, yeah, it was a great deal. It was a great deal. Don't worry about it. It's fine. And you know what? It is fine, honestly. But I do believe that God's not looking for us to set the budget and then justify it to him. 
I think he wants to be a part of that conversation because he wants to be the priority in our lives. So a couple different approaches to giving, but you know, the crazy thing is that no matter which one of these you use, and they're both good, they both have merits, they're both biblically based, which is a wonderful thing, but neither approach is good enough. You might say, Luke, well, what do you mean by that? I mean, tithing is founded in the Bible, and I've been tithing my whole life, and you just said you're going to teach your son to tithe. You said that's something that you value, and so what do you mean it's not good enough? And you just spent, you know, five, ten minutes talking about the book of Acts and the way they operated and, and how that's supposed to work, and you've encouraged us to live that way, and you say that's not good enough. Well, what, what do you mean that's not good enough? If, if they're not good enough, why are you talking about them? What's, what's the point? What is good enough? I want to direct you to Matthew chapter 19. And starting in verse 16, it's a conversation. And actually, it's a very similar conversation to a couple weeks ago when I was speaking about the Good Samaritan. And it's this individual, someone came to him. So this is Jesus. So a guy comes to Jesus and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do so that I may obtain eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. And then he said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. What am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, if you want to be complete, Go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, Then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said to them, With people, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So the question that you may have been asking is, what can I do? Or maybe to rephrase that, what should I do? Or what must I do? And it's this question of like, what is the path? What do I have to do to do the right thing? And I think that's the wrong attitude. I think tithing is good and right. I think recognizing that everything we have comes from God and that when he calls us to make sacrifices and to take something that we have and, and give it up for the kingdom of God or when we have to make decisions that, you know what, I'm going to commit to supporting the work of God over this other thing that might be nice to have, that's good. But if we're taking the attitude that this is my part of the transaction, you got it all wrong because you could never be good enough to earn or buy your salvation. 
In the early part of that passage, Jesus says that. He says, no one is good but God. He's the only one who's good. So this young man comes and he's trying to say like, okay, I've lived a good life. I've followed the commandments. I've done what I'm supposed to. I've followed all the rules. How can I get into heaven? And Jesus presents him with this impossible scenario and he turns away and gives up. And I think what Jesus said to the disciples, like that can get missed. We read that story and we think, okay, well, it's a sin to be rich. And I think you're missing the point of what Jesus was getting at. Jesus was saying it is impossible for any of us to get into heaven except through God. And so I want to say this again. God doesn't want your wallet. He wants your heart. God wants you to embrace this gift that he has bought for you. It's not this scenario where, you know, I've seen this in, in different Christians before and they treat the kingdom of God like a slot machine. And if I just keep putting in offerings and I just keep putting them in and pull the lever and put in another offering and then eventually I'm going to hit the jackpot and God's going to bless me. Or some of us look at it as like a set of rules, like it's, it's taxes, you know? It's like, okay, you know, I've got to give God's share and the government's got their share and I've got my mortgage and I've got the groceries and, and then this is my piece of the pie that's left. And, you know, and some of it, some of us look at it and we just say, oh, I want nothing to do with it because it's just this corrupt greed thing and, you know, the, the church doesn't deserve my money and, and God has no right to my money and there's all these different attitudes that we can come into it with. But the problem with all of those attitudes is they're focused on the money part and they're totally missing the heart. Because what God wants us to do is to recognize that we who were sinful, we who were broken, we who could never deserve eternal life, we who could never deserve heaven, we who could never deserve a relationship with God, he saw us and he sent his son And Jesus died on the cross for us to buy our salvation because he was the only one who could afford what was necessary to bring us back into relationship with him. And so now, because he has been so good to us, we respond and we say, God, we are so grateful for who you are. And here, I I don't have much, Lord. I just have this little bit, but I lift it up to you and I say, it's yours anyway. Take it and do what you want. So I want to read a few more words of Jesus before we close here. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. The problem with the this young rich man wasn't that he was rich it's that his money had his heart before God had did it doesn't matter what the balance of the bank account is it, it doesn't matter how big the offering is it, it doesn't matter what's in your wallet it matters what's in your heart so I want to ask you this morning does God have your heart? And, you know, that's a multi-layered question to me because 
again, I recognize there might be some of you where you're just checking out this church thing and you're new to Jesus and, and you might say that, no, I'm just not there in my journey. Like, I, I don't know. I'm still thinking about it. I'm on the fence. And, you know, I pray that God's speaking to you this morning because he does love you. He passionately wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to be a part of your life. And, and ultimately, he wants to give you an eternity with him through that relationship. But there might be some of us here this morning who we've been doing this church thing for a while and we might say, yep, checked off the box, I prayed that prayer. Yep, I've been going to church and checked off the box. And yep, I, you know, I sang the worship songs and checked off that box. And yep, gave my tithes this morning, I checked off that box. And, and it can be so subtle where we just slide into this checklist of our faith. It's just one after another doing the right things and those things are all good things but our heart can grow cold and it can just become about this system this tradition and God is saying I don't want you just to check off the boxes I want your heart I want you to be doing this stuff because you so passionately love me that you're responding to so for those of us who have been doing this church thing for a while, I would encourage you, we're going to sing a song in a minute. And, uh, it's going to pull up a couple of the lyrics here. I, I think it's such a, a beautiful song. It's called Nothing Else. And there's a couple parts of the lyrics that I, I really think address this, this desire that God has for relationships. You know, part of the chorus, it says, I'm not here for blessings. Jesus, you don't owe me anything more than anything that you can do. I just want you. Then there's a part of the, the bridge. It says, I just want you. Nothing else, nothing else, nothing else will do. And before we get further into the song here, I want to encourage you to, whether you're here in the sanctuary or whether you're watching online, I want you to take a moment to reflect. I want you to think about that question of, does God have your heart? Because it can be so easy for us to think that, okay, I've done all the things, I've checked off all the boxes, and, you know, that part's taken care of, and and then we just get swept up with life, and we get swept up with the, the things, and we get distracted by whatever's shiny and new, and, you know, whether whether that's a a vehicle or a guitar or a holiday or a home or whatever it is. And none of those things are evil. But if those things have our heart more than God has our heart, then we have gone dangerously astray. We're missing the point of this whole thing. And so as we sing, I want you to just take a moment and, and don't worry about singing along if, uh, if you need to take the time to really thoughtfully pray about this because I, I don't want you to get caught up in the words and <laughs> ironically the words of the song say, you know, I'm sorry for when I've just been singing the words and going through the motions. So don't do that this morning. Don't go through the motions and get distracted from this question of whether or not God has your heart. Take a minute. We're going to pray before we go. But as we worship, just reflect heart, examine your own heart, and if you've never given your heart to God, then take a minute, really consider all of the things
that he's done for you, the price that he paid for you, how much he loves you, and this great gift that he wants to give you, salvation, eternal life, at no cost to you, because you could never earn it, you could never buy it, none of us deserved it, and yet he loved you so much that he wants to give it to you anyway. Amen. Worship together.